Eli. Hey, brother John. What's up? That's all good, uh, man. Conversation and uh, yes, I am ready, sir. I didn't know if you wanted to uh, go over what we wanted to discuss and uh, and then start recording, or if you wanted to jump right into it now. I'm ready. All right. Yeah, this app I got is actually recording right now, so we good. Perfect, brother. All right. Hey, uh, first I want to appreciate you for uh, joining my podcast. uh, everybody who's on my podcast wants you to know that this is Eli, and he runs uh, theology underscore discussions underscore on Instagram. It's a very cool Instagram page. We're, we're going to go over some of his topics here in a second. Um, I want to thank you, Eli, for coming in, uh, talking to me on a Saturday, and uh, this is my first interview ever. So forgive me if I stumble over my words and uh, you know I slip up a little bit and I'm a little nervous, but. Uh, I'll do the best I can. Um, is there anything you want to say? Uh, no, thank you for having me. Uh, Brother John, I, I appreciate your passion for you know propagating the gospel, your passion for truth. Um, you too have an Instagram page uh, I follow and, and, and I would promote. And I hope that uh, this podcast or YouTube channel uh, you know reaches the masses. And uh, I, you know, I respect every everybody who has a, a genuine passion uh, for God's word and, and simply wants to collaborate and have discussions. Uh, to exchange thoughts and ideas. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, again, I appreciate you. This podcast is the lion and the lamb. It's called the lion and the lamb. Okay. So we're going to go over some of the, uh, topics that, uh, the- theology or Elijah brought up on his Instagram page. I think you would find interesting. I think you should go on his Instagram and follow him. Uh, Eli, you did say you're going to start a YouTube channel soon. Is that correct? Or you thought about it? Yeah. You know, I was hoping to, you know what I mean? You, you've inspired me now. That's for sure. <laughs> good deal. Good deal. The, uh, some of his cool topics are, uh, can dreams be in, I mean, listen to this broad spectrum of stuff, y'all. So can, can uh, dreams be interpreted or be accepted as a spiritual gift? He talks about facts.
runs the uh, apostolic denominations, uh, apostolic Pentecostal denominations. Literally, there's a division among on these propositions right here in these verses. Uh, verse 14, uh, does not nature, then he says, does not nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a shame unto him. But, I mean, how long was Samson's hair? If he, if Samson never cut his hair, is it at all possible, can we have warrant to believe that it went to his butt? Or it went past his shoulders? I mean, if a man never cut his hair from birth, that, my goodness, it has to at least be long. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, if, if, if you look at the, uh, the seat, uh, you know, they don't believe in cutting their hair. Uh, uh, a set of them don't. And so they wear their turban, but they don't cut their hair. When they unravel their turban, their hair is long. Right. Long just like a woman. So I'm trying to wrestle uh, hermeneutically. What in the world did Paul mean? And also he said that a woman should not cut her hair because of the power of the angels. You go, where, where, what is Paul talking about? What, what was it? Was he using? Was he using it in the form of messenger, like Angelos, or was he talking about, um, like Gabriel and Michael? Yes, some even said demon. For this cause, in verse ten, for this cause, ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. You're right. I mean, and where, and where, where in Scripture can we go to that says this is what Paul was talking about? You know, when we go to. Uh, Many verses of scripture, let's say uh, Old Testament passages, we have a New Testament author that delineates what that Old Testament prophecy meant. Uh, like, for example, the, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name shall be called, or excuse me, his name will be called Emmanuel. Right. That is being interpreted God with us. Well, right. here we have at least a Bible author right. with divine authority delineating and bringing. That's right. The, that's right. Just like at the beginning of Mark, whenever it, it talks about the voice from the wilderness and making the way for the Lord and all that other stuff. Right. You can go back to Isaiah. That's right. It's there. That's right. And that, and, and that hermeneutical principle is known as census plenior. And census plenior was the, the Latin term for a more plentiful sense or a deeper meaning. And the reason why, Brother John, one of the primary reasons why I should say that we have 51,000, approximately 51,000 different denominations in Christianity is because census plenior is not upheld in the way that it should be. By that I mean, when we look at Old Testament passages of Scripture, we have to have an official Bible author to bring about a spiritual meaning of a text. People can go to the Old Testament and go, well, spiritually, this is what I see. This is what the Holy Ghost is telling me. And you have people in the patristic period, for example, will read Song of Solomon. And they'll say, well, the two breasts of a woman, the two breasts of the Shulamite woman, one breast represents the Old Testament, and the other breast represents the New Testament. And there you go. They put that allegory right on the text, and they build a doctrine off of it. Right. And you just go, whoa, 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 wait. Where do you have the authority to put an allegory or a spiritual meaning, a deeper meaning on a text where it's not there? And so... Right, just like how people put you people what does it put Jeremiah that the Lord will make the way for me? Like that's already happened four thousand years ago. Exactly. <laughs> like when people put that on their house, yeah, or Instagram. Yeah. Or I'm, it's like, hey bro, like this this was done thousands and thousands of years ago. He already made the way. So it's like, okay, I mean Exactly. And and, and I bring that up because, you know, that's why we have people who say, Well, this is a, a spiritual meaning. This is what it means to me and my coherent circle or a denomination. Um, but unless you have a Bible author that comes and brings about a spiritual meaning, 
then that's the only way it could be officiated. Paul, for example, talked about the singular scene with uh, Hagar yeah. um, and, and his wife Sarah. And he goes, well, the singular scene here, Ishmael represented the flesh, Isaac represented the spirit. So here you have Paul quoting from an Old Testament narrative, but he adds on a spiritual meaning to it. Right. He's the Apostle Paul. He has the authority to do that. That's right. You and I don't have the authority to do that. And anybody that came after the age of the apostles do not have the authority to add spiritual meanings to a text. That's right. So now if we if we I don't agree. have that right, if we don't have that staunch hermeneutic, that 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 strict approach, then that means that we've just opened up the floodgates for anybody to come and build a sound doctrine and add deeper meanings where it's just not there. And so the, re the reason why I brought that up is because when we're reading 1 Corinthians 11, we don't have, Brother John, a third testament to come and say, this is what Paul meant. Or this, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So right. we're, just, we're just drawing in. But all sound doctrine fit census plenary. Uh, monotheism. The, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, even when it comes to baptism, hey, how should we baptize? Should we baptize underwater or should we be sprinkled as a baby? Should we pour water over your head? Well, what's the written proposition state? Um, and so, you know, I bring that up because no matter what, how we discuss it. What do you think about that? About what? Do you think that infant baptism, do you think that it's symbolic? Do you think you, you got to be water baptized as part of your salvation? What do you think? Well, you know, it, 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 well, first, let me address. Uh, baby baptism, infant baptism. Obviously, there is not one book, chapter, and verse where a baby was sprinkled or baptized. Right. And obviously that derived from the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church believed that you must be baptized to be saved, and that was one of the primary reasons why they started sprinkling babies, were because babies were dying a lot during those times, even in the Dark Ages. And so they felt like, well, hey, Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Uh, so we might as well sprinkle them because we want them to be saved. That was one of the reasons why. Right. But it cannot fit the criteria of a sound doctrine. Right. It cannot fit the criteria of an apostolic doctrine. I, I agree. I agree. And right. not to bring him up again, but the thief on the cross, was he baptized? Oh, no, he wasn't. That's right. And what did Christ say to him? Christ he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He used the Greek word paradisio, which is the same Greek word he uses in Revelation. Whenever right. everyone is worshiping the Father and the Lamb. Wow. So that's, you know what I'm saying? So I, I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that ties into what you're saying about how people want to take something and just run with it and try to make some type of um, doctrine out of it. Right. And, and I think that we should emulate the teachings of the apostles. Now, one can counteract and say, well, that was before the church age began. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ was not yet given when Peter received the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he said, upon uh, uh, this rock, I will build my church. Well, the church was not yet birthed until Pentecost, if, if we follow that systematic theological right. structure. Mm -hmm. So somebody come and say, yes, you know, he gave uh, mercy on the thief on the cross, uh, but the church age was not hadn't even begun yet. The, the gospel message of 1 Corinthians 15 was not yet preached. And so we read in the book of Acts where... Peter did say, repent, and may every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And we see that the apostles did use water baptism as a custom of their earthly ministry. Right. So if that is the biblical paradigm of the church, the book of Acts, then we should also follow that. 
And, and, and so, so uh, uh, from a ministerial perspective, I think that ministers, and this is just, I'm just thinking, drawing reference, that water baptism should be something that can be a custom. Absolutely. Now, whether or not somebody is baptized under submersion or chooses to be baptized, this is why I always fall back on, well, God is the judge. He's going to deal with people as individuals, just like the thief on the cross. That's right. John the, bapti John the baptizer was baptizing people. And yet you have the thief on the cross who was not baptized. So God deals with people as individuals. So when it comes to people's salvation, no man can have an input. I mean, we can have warranted belief that, hey, Adolf Hitler didn't make it to heaven. We can have warranted belief that Genghis Khan didn't make it to heaven or somebody like Ted Bundy. But do we absolutely know? No, we don't. We don't have any episodes. Well, because, yeah, we don't. And just like as terrible as those men were, none of it is stronger than the blood that was spilt on the cross. And right. that is, that's the beauty of it. Do I, you know, do I think that those men will be, or are in the presence of the Lord? No, but would it, I mean, but also I think when me and you do go before the Lord, we're going to see people who we didn't think would be there. And we're going to see people, or we're not going to see people who we thought would be there. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that's just the power of the blood. You know, it's that it's, it's more powerful than any evil thing that, that man has ever can ever do. So I mean, what's the only unforgivable sin? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I mean that's and, and, and whatever that and whatever that means. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, now I just opened up a can of worms with that, didn't I? I mean so I've I've heard different people. Is it's is it that when the Holy Spirit does something you say it's of the of the devil? Or of the yeah. enemy, so that's blasphemy the Holy Spirit. Or is it that you don't accept Jesus as Lord because the Holy Spirit is the one that brought that message? So through man, through the Scripture. So it's like I don't know. I don't know. Right, right. And and you know, I think all of this really ties into this this dualistic perspective of good and evil. Um, we get even to the existence of evil. Um, <laughs> you know, we get into, uh, for example. What I'm wrestling, we're talking about salvation, people being judged. We talked about water baptism. Does somebody need to be baptized to be saved? Um, obviously, that's, a, that's a, a discussion in itself. I believe that we should follow as ministry. We should follow the teachings of the, uh, of the apostles. Absolutely. The of the apostles. If somebody chooses not to be baptized, water baptized, then we just leave them up to God. That's right. They're, they're in God's hands, and that's where we should leave it as. Unless we want to assume the positions of the Catholic popes of the Dark Ages and all throughout the Middle Ages and kill people, you know, right. and use the Bible to execute and burn people at the stake. Well, that's something that the apostles didn't do. But yes, we should just leave yeah, or, or not let them read the scripture and keep it in Latin oh, so they can't read it. Exactly. Yeah, there yeah. you go. And, I mean, I'm not banging on the Catholic Church because I think I got some followers that are Catholic, but obviously I'm not Catholic, but, but I don't agree with a lot of the stances of the Catholic Church. Absolutely. Sure, and even those who are part of the you know Catholic you know affiliation, they would also disagree. Absolutely, with the moral ethic that was handled. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and you know it's you know it just goes to show that the more that we study and the more that we know, and we hear it all the time, the more we find out we don't because if there's more questions, there's just more questions. One of the ones that that I have is uh, those who commit uh, child molestation or, or pedophilia. You know, Jesus said, if anybody offends these little ones, it'll be better for him to have a millstone tied around his right. back to the sea. So who was he talking to? Was he talking to people before they were saved? Or was it, and what happens to somebody who is, quote, saved, 
and yet commits this act. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if a person who is saved could actually do something like that. I, I think that something that egregious, because there are sins that that uh, Yahweh says are an abomination. So and, and, and child molestation is not mentioned in the text in the Torah, and I, that just baffles me. Six hundred and fifteen yeah. laws. Where do we have pedophilia? At? We don't. There is not one proposition that mentions that. And so anything that we have, we just draw reference on. We just draw an inference. So how do we apply this this verse, Brother John? It will be better for him to have a millstone kind of – so that means that out of the countless people – it, it seems Does, – Doesn't he use the same uh, – uh, what, is, what is the Greek word for throw? It's uh, – that gummit. It's a, I forget. He Doesn't he use the same Greek word for throw or th- the dropper to throw the millstone in the – and the lake, as he does when he says, "Be gone from me! I never, never got you." And he casts you out into the lake of fire. So I think he's, wow. I think he's using a reference to um, the pit, you know, um, the same as as uh, as as he is in the Gospels. I think, wow. I think, I think. That's a great comparison. Yeah, I think. Right, and that's there's just some things that we don't. And Paul doesn't come and and delineate on this passage. I think. In Mark 9, this is the only time that we could really see children being offended. And in, in, in context, he's not even talking about sexual abuse. He was just talking about those who wanted to see him. The disciples are saying, no, 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 no. You know, no, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you. You guys are just kids. And then he addresses them. But in context. Well, no what, what, though, Jesus uses the word porneia. So doesn't that have like a broad general... Um, so, definition. Shall, if I'm reading Mark nine forty two, whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, and some say, well, he's only talking to those that believe in him. So only Christian kids does this apply to. So a Muslim kid, an atheist kid, any anybody else, just a kid in general. Well, Mark chapter nine verse forty two doesn't apply to them. I'm not going to go so far as to say that. But it says, a whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it'd be better for uh, him to. That a millstone were hanged around his neck and were cast into the sea. You said that there was porneia used in this passage. No, I don't know if it's that passage, but when he talks about sexual perversion, um, he uses the word porneia. Porneia, right? Correct. So, and you're right, it's broad. Right, and that's and that has a, a doesn't isn't bestiality under that? Doesn't that word run to the Hebrew with Sodom and Gomorrah and all that other stuff? Homosexuality. I mean, I've heard the same.
philosophers that critique uh, the existence of evil in, in, in the manner that they do. Uh, okay, so let's say um, God can intervene at any time. He can intervene in any human state of affairs, and, and he can actually change minds. We see in the Tower of Babel, uh, he changed the language of, of those that were building a, a tower to, to be obstinate against him. That is a neurological alteration. That is a cognitive alteration against their will. We see uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it appears that God ontologically goes into his mind making...
topic. This is something that, that is real in the life of many, many people, especially those living in third world countries, those who are starving, those who endure, you know, tyrannical governments. Yep. And it's just, you know, we're so blessed here in America, regardless of who's the president, regardless of what's going to happen, we're still God bless America. We are still having uh, the blessings of our forefathers who upheld the New Testament. That's right. And we're st- and we're having church right now because we're two or more gathered. And they can never take that away from us. Amen. Brother, Brother John, I've learned so much. Uh, and just thank you. All right.